This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 8, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The charge of the SEC is to detect and stop fraud perpetrated against average investors. For the FDA, one charge is to actively prevent and contain outbreaks of foodborne illness. Given the size of the tasks we assign to these agencies and the volume of warnings they receive about fraud or poor food handling practices, do we end up with a regulatory worst-case scenario that is an ineffective bureaucracy that nonetheless lulls consumers and investors alike into an ill-advised complacency? Cato Institute Senior Fellow and Editor of Regulation Magazine, Peter Van Doren, comments. Lots of policy discussion. There's some important thing that sort of everyone assumes is obvious and easy and that's left to somebody to figure out. And so detecting fraud, libertarians, for example, always say we're against fraud and then assume it's easy to detect it and that, you know, idiots can do it or something like that. And you don't need big government bureaucracy to do all that and all that. And what's interesting is financial trans there's the throughput of financial transactions in a day in the world's markets in the US's markets are so large that the SEC faces a problem that's analogous to the NSA which is the NSA is supposed to tra- you know trap all signals around the world and what all agencies face try to find mischief, that try to find stuff out there in the world that's bad, call it prevention or call it detection, whichever you will. The problem is, how do you find the needle in the very noisy haystack? Because through technological sophistication, we can now collect all the information that exists in the world. We can collect it. The NSA collects it, and it puts it into a computer, And then it has to have algorithms that say, every time you find this kind of thing, and they never tell us what that thing is, send this to the inbox of an analyst who then looks at it. The SEC faces the same problem. And the FDA faces the same problem, too, in detecting bad spinach or something like that. And we say, see, what the press does, it fails to think of the problem this way. What the press does is, whenever something goes wrong, it then finds that someone wrote a memo. In 9-11, we found that if somebody was saying something's up here. In the Bernie Madoff case, turns out some guy wrote a 19-page memo that said something's fishy here. What the press never does, and it ought to, and I don't know why they don't, is ask people in agencies, how many warnings do you get a day? And my guess is the answer would astound us. And how many can you act on? It would be large. It's like saying, you know, in some companies, uh, fire alarms get ignored because there are too many false positives. I mean, in in most uh, warning situations, it's very difficult to design a warning system or a detection system that if it catches all the stuff that you want to catch, there are going to be lots of false positives. Right? There are going to be lots of false warnings, and every bureaucrat and every agency and every whatever knows this. Every fire department goes to, most of the time the fire department goes to things every day. They turn out to be nothing. 
you and I had been talking about something of a similarity between what the FDA's task is and the difficulty there and the SEC's job in, in uh, uh, detecting fraud versus detecting bad spinach or uh, bad beef or right. things, things like that. Um, isn't there something of a prophylactic effect for fraud or for uh, bad processes in, in food production just by having an agency that's tasked with, with trying to detect or prevent that type of activity? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on the ratio of resources available to the amount of bad stuff that exists. And then people in the know, none of us do. I mean, ordinary consumers and voters don't know the information ratios that I'm describing, which is how much bad stuff is there out there and how much, how many resources does an agency have to detect that stuff and what is an agency detection uh, person's work life look like? In other words, how big is their inbox? How many alarms do they get a day? How many, I mean, how many nutty emails does someone at the FDA get a day that says, uh, this far, this this producer over here made me sick. Okay, the CDC gets this all. I mean, they they they're just inundated with claims, i.e., information. Much of it untrue, some of it true, some of it uh, malicious, some of it not. And detectives with limited budgets and time frames have to figure out, given this inundation of claims out there from the world that says something out there is fishy and you ought to check it out, they have to figure out which ones to check out. And as I said to myself, all right, so I'm, a, I'm an SEC bureaucrat and I'm coming in the morning and here's a, here's a report from some computer algorithm uh, that says the trading and investment behavior of this firm looks suspicious. In addition, there's a 19-page memo from someone who says this guy's a fraud. So I look, I try to figure out well, what's going on here, and then I try to figure out the identity of this person. It turns out this person invented electronic trading and was the chairman of NASDAQ, okay? It, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I mean, I'm low level. and all. So I send it up the food chain, and I, and, or I may not even the first time. Then it comes in again, and then eventually I may send it up the food chain. And then my boss says, What's the likelihood of getting rewarded for investigating an extremely prominent, not only a prominent investor, a person of impeccable financial and cultural credentials? Because I have a 19-page memo um, that says there's fraud. You got to think about that one, right? So I guess what I'm saying is the press does not put themselves in the context of decision-making under uncertainty and maximizing an agency's uh, likelihood of detecting bad stuff. Does this seem like a promising route to expend agency resources on versus much other, other kinds of leads where it looks like the person has a criminal record and they've had fishy trading before or something like that? Now, in Madoff's case, apparently there were previous run-ins or allegations that the SEC investigated. But again, the person's prominence would suggest that, wow, this 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 is a tough one. I'm not sure we've, you know, we may not want to expend resources this way. And the flip side of any prophylactic effect that uh, having an agency like that might create is the 
effect it will have on consumers, uh, be it of spinach or financial products, to think, well, this agency exists, and I'm not really aware of what it does, but I'm sure they're doing a fine job in trying to prevent right. uh, me from being defrauded. Although, what's interesting is, uh, think about speeding. Think about, all right, we have laws against speeding. We have police officers that are alleged to be out there to detect it. And yet, what's the ordinary experience of every every driver in any area of the United States that I know of, which is, on average, all people break speeding laws almost all the time. If you try to go 55 miles an hour on Interstate 270, north of Washington, you'd be run into continually by cars bumping you, right, because you're going too slow. And so it's ironic that the public, which knows that when there's a gap between what people really do and what the laws say and then the notion of detecting fraud and all that and that they're out there to protect us. In fact, I sometimes ask myself, how fast do you have to go on Interstate 270 to actually be stopped for speeding? And as best I can tell, I, I think it's 90. I'm not sure, but I think it's, it have to be that high. Because no one I've seen go less than that seems to, to get stopped. So the experience of people in food processing with the FDA and the experience of people in financial markets is similar, which is, yeah, there are these laws on the books. And yes, they now and then some people seem to get arrested and whatnot for whatever. But on average... People just do what they do, and their norms in the industry, and their norms in the F, their norms in the food industry about sort of what's acceptable, and that may or may not agree with what's on the books. And every now and then, a scandal hits the books, and then just like there's a crackdown on speeding or whatever, they'll be they'll round up the usual suspects. So it's interesting that the political response to stuff happening um, is always to to create an agency, and then says it's supposed to do good things, and then. If people were to reflect on their own experience with um, traffic laws, for example, we know that there's way too few people enforcing things. On average, you're never likely to get stopped for anything that's illegal in traffic markets. So why would we think it'd be any different with the FDA or with the FCC? And it turns out it's not. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why uh, politics works this way and why people buy into it, even though something they, they can directly experience actually doesn't corroborate um, this view of, of detection and arrest and whatever at all, um, that, that's a puzzle to me. To draw out the spinach and financial product analogy as far as we possibly can, uh, it seems that the, the willingness for people to pay a higher price for something that has a much higher probability of being uh, safe uh, in lieu of any type of uh, FDA or USDA program, uh, you would think, though, that in the financial markets, that people would people who uh, live and die by risk and measurement would make those types of trade-offs themselves. Uh, as we're learning with the financial uh, crisis and uh, with the Madoff scandal, is you know perhaps we need to be willing to accept lower returns to have. Uh, uh, a more likelihood of getting those returns. And why aren't those people who are actively involved in these financial markets, why uh, was there so much uh, trust, with, you know, uh, trust without verification? I, I mean, the simple answer is I don't know. 
That, that is, if in an econ class you're asking the very good question of the smart student, and my initial answer is, in equilibrium, you'd think everything you'd say would be true, and I would argue it would be true, and so I'm puzzled myself about how, how could so many sophisticated people who know about index funding and who know about a random walk theory and who know that extraordinary returns that are above market, not only above market, but stable. That's, we, we could teach you in a week or in a class that that's not possible. So it's like, how did so many people buy into cold fusion? And the answer is, I, I don't know. And it certainly it doesn't fit within a conventional neoclassical rational actor framework, I think easily, although I'm sure I'll get some emails from people who listen to this who say, oh, yes, yes, it does, and they'll tell me how. But off the top of my head, I'd say that it's it's somewhat of a puzzle. Um, and But back to people who think the SEC's fallen down. One thing we haven't talking about talked about yet is that, remember, the SEC's charge is to protect ordinary investors, right? And the, the whole average person that lost money in the depression that's allegedly the rationale for the existence of the sec and there is in fact the hedge funds that bernie madoff ran were explicitly exempt from sec regulation because they fall under what's called the sophisticated investor rule and that hasn't been increased for inflation so sophisticated investors uh, according to the sec are people who have a net worth of a million dollars or more now with inflation that number that was set a long time ago now includes a lot more people than it used to. and But none of the people that have alleged to have, well, who've said they've lost money through his firm, all of them are prominent people with lots of money who never would have fallen under SEC regulation, and the hedge fund he ran wouldn't have fallen under SEC regulation. So back to my initial story, which is imagine you've got an inbox at the SEC, and the person not only says the allegation is that this prominent person who has an impeccable financial reputation is the problem, the person in the inbox also knows that the SEC isn't even charged with worrying about these people. I mean, the scandals you worry about are fidelity is is fraudulent, Vanguard is fraudulent. That affects people millions, millions and of millions of Americans. The people involved in this fraud, even though it looks to be the largest fraud in U.S. financial fraud in U.S. history, these aren't people that no one thinks of government regulation or or has as designed to or intended to protect them. It's not about them. Never has been about them. So now, are we going to have an additional agenda for the government, which is to protect the very sophisticated against their own hubris? Wow, that's a. I mean. The libertarian in me says, no, we're not going to do that. But why do I have a theory of behavior that explains why they did what they did? And the answer is no, I, I do not. Peter Van Doren is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and editor of Regulation magazine. You can subscribe to Regulation or read it online at Cato.org. <laughs>